You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. Debbie, I'm really very flattered that you've given up your time to talk to me today. And it's been a bit of a journey for us, but you as principal of McBride Charles Ryan Architects, welcome to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Thanks, Elizabeth. It's always a delight to talk to you. And I think that you guys, when I look back in terms of my journey and when I first started, you were really the pioneers of the glazed brick back, it's nearly 10 years ago now. And You were also, I don't know whether you're aware of it, such a pivotal influence in how the awards started rewarding architects that had built in brick. Do you remember that conversation you had with me? I do remember a couple of lunches that we had and I said, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I gave you feedback after each event. I think you've always, I've always tried to take everything on board. And and really, I think the Infinity Centre was the first time we awarded the actual prize money for a built project. When you won in 2010, I think, for Fitzroy, that you actually, it was just like an honorary win. (laughs) But I think for 2012, that's when we introduced the prizes for the Architect for Built project. That's right. I I always kind of remiss because I've never really got the big money. I think you were, you know, like some of those lunches you said, I'm happy to have feedback and I want, you know, I really want to make this a success. So I did what you asked me to do. And I really do appreciate it. But I think, you know, I guess my feedback is, yeah, we took it all on board and and look at the success that it's happened. Yeah, now, that's so. right. I know. It's a fantastic program. So before we go into talking more about bricks, can you tell us a little bit about growing up, your childhood, what led you down this design path? I'd had 15 moves by the time I was 13 years of age and, you know, I'd never lived any longer than two years in one place. And uh, so I think I got to experience a lot of places and certainly I took everything in from a visual perspective. Mm. And is this all in Australia? Yes, all and in Australia. Is it all in Victoria or is it all around? No, no. We were um, mainly Victoria and South Australia. I learned to be adaptable too and respond to new situations. And I learned how to make friends, you know, relatively easy and things like that. I don't think it was a negative for me. Mm-hmm. My mother was always, she really was a dressmaker and she used to make dresses for some of the most important women in any town that we went to and a lot of her outfits you know actually got to be fashion on the fields and things like that so when we're in Wyala for example they were for the BHP women who christened the ship and things like that so but there were always cuttings of fabric on the floor in our house and I was always interested in colour and texture and things like that. Wyala really did have an impact to be honest because we had this incredible big bluestone house, you know, that had um, huge bluestones and velvet curtains and we used to do performances and things like that. So mm-hmm. I just think, you know, you have a visual memory of all these places and then I thought I wanted to be a social worker and my father had a relative who was a social worker in St Kilda and after spending a night with her, he said, I think you should go and spend a night with her and see what you think. <laughs> and after spending a night with her, I you know, I decided that really wasn't my career path. <laughs> it was pretty hard work. Yeah. And, I mean, not that I think everything is hard work and actually 
design and architecture are hard work as well, but you've got to have something else that keeps you going. And if you're not really into it and can't really see a way forward, I think it's going to be very difficult for you to persist in something. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were moving around, was that because of your mother or your father? No, my father used to manage coal stores and then he would basically, he was very successful at getting them going. So they owned stores in those days and then they'd just send him to the next one to get that operating well. And then Target poached him to open to basically when they started, he project managed essentially getting their stores operational. And then we'd move on again too. But then it was much more stressful and I can remember the stress of mum because Target didn't have their own houses and so mum would have to go, we'd move and she'd have to find a new house and move and all the rest of it, whereas Coles just had the truck turn up and yes. it was delivered to the next house sort of thing. And then, yes, yeah, so he opened the first Camberwell Target store. He opened one in Shepparton. But once they were operational again, we tended to move on. So, but your yeah. mum was also adapting then, it seems, as well. Well, she Did was. You? She yeah. was adaptable, yeah. yeah. And she sort of somehow, I don't know how she, you know, got people to know that she was a dressmaker. I think people just liked her clothes and said, she said, I made it, you know, and they will you make me something? I don't know. You know, she used to have some amazing outfits. And I can remember her even winning a prize at the races one day, this, you know, dress with daisies and then this orange fantastic hat. But, yeah, so I just... I went to Monash and I was studying arts because I w- was actually really good at art. That okay. was that was my passion at school. Yeah. And I already knew Robert. And yes. so he was at Monash too, but he was doing science because he was a bit of a maths whiz. Oh, wow. And we both were doing one subject together and that was biology and people laugh at that. They just think it's hilarious. But I was studying under Patrick McKackie, who was a lot of people would know because, you know, he's headed up the National Gallery of Victoria and all sorts of wonderful things. But at that time, he was a lecturer at Monash and he was just the most fabulous lecturer I've ever, like almost ever seen, really. He was very theatrical. Yes. And he started talking about Baroque architecture and this and the hands would be going everywhere and they're the most entertaining lectures of all And because he did a whole series on architecture. And so I said to Rob, you have to come to my lectures, you know, like they're just amazing. And so he came along and he said... I want to change to architecture, I want to change to architecture. So we both changed to RMIT. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I actually changed to interior design and he changed to architecture at that time. But we did share a studio in uh, Little Burke Street and that's really where our practice was born because before, you know, sort of the 90s crash, there was so much work around. Like right. it was unbelievable. Yeah. There was just, if you could pick up a pen, you could get a job, wow. basically. It was, it was pretty incredible. And so we had this sort of, we just kept saying, well, we should be doing this ourselves because we're working for other people. I mean, Robert worked for Peter Corrigan and he worked for Ashton Ragan McDougall and I did consultancy work for Ashton Ragan McDougall as well. I'd already sort of was starting our own business really. It was called White Studio then. Oh, wow. And I did a lot of theatre sets for companies doing I did sets for Laminex, for example. Right. You know, like I do kitchens or I do sets for sheep companies. Like display set. Sheridan and and Saraband were the Mm -hmm. two that I'd done something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that you'd set up a room, but it's kind of a pretend room. You know what I mean? Like you had to just uh, replicate what a a window is or whatever. Merchandising or yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So just did a lot of sets and things as a sideline when I was studying almost. And I did a lot of things at the exhibition buildings, you know, people were doing exhibitions and things like that. And so from that little business, I kept saying, we should really be doing our own proper 
architecture business because there was so much work around. Yeah. And of course, um, and then we had our friend Anthony Charles. Yes. So our name is McBride Charles Ryan. And he was working for a, a sort of a more developer type architectural firm. And the whole idea was that he was going to go out and get the clients and Rob and I would be working away in the studio doing the work. That was okay. the idea at the time. At the start. Yeah. But, of course, then the crash came. Okay. We were just about to go out and order the fancy cars and there was no work and it just wasn't, it's not like now where you could, you know, have Zoom calls or no. Teams or anything like that. You basically had to hit the streets and beg people for a job. Officially gone from white studio to Charles. Ma- well, we did Monuments oh. to Mankind. That was the name of the business we set up with oh, Tony Charles. Yes. With Tony Charles and Robert, we had Monuments to Mankind Proprietary Limited. Then we got a trading name of McBride Charles Ryan. Right, yes. And then we took the trading name and became, you know, MCR. Yeah, so yes. Because it sort of... We kept the name because people knew us as that, you yes. know, like you did, even though Tony left because when the crash hit, we were on about 15000 each a year and well, Rob and I had each other, you know, we could not go out and just live very leanly. Yeah. But Tony was single and so hitting the nightclubs and things like that was not going to happen on the wage that we were getting. So you said, we used to take it in terms of going and working for other firms. Okay. Just as consultant. And I can remember Tony got a job for Melbourne City Council, which paid really well. I mean, it might have been $50 an hour or something, but then it was a lot. Yes. And, you know, he thought that was pretty good. And he, but we all had to pull the money because, you know, that was the thing. If yeah. We took it in terms of that and we'd pull, bring the money back into the office. Okay. And so then he got a job for this company called Meldrum Burroughs, who was a very big architectural firm in Collins Street. Those were the days when architects actually had Collins Street addresses right. and quite big frontages. Yeah. So, and it, I think it was $70 an hour. Like it was oh, just wow. an enormous amount of money in those days. And he said, hey, guys, I think I might keep this job. And go and do my own <laughs> night clubbing. We said, okay, that's fine. We'll just work away here. And, of course, the crash came. Yeah. And there was this day, Black Thursday, I think it was, and half of Melbourne's architects lost their jobs. And, of course, Tony was one of them. He'd already left the practice. And so he then, you know, he just, I mean, he worked at a petrol station for a little while, but he quickly got a job in Singapore. So he, he just, he never looked, he, he said, you know, I'd made that decision, it's fine, I'll wear it. He was, you know, we were all good about it. There wasn't enough in our practice for him to come back anyway. Like, I mean, it just would have been ridiculous. But you still wanted to keep the name? We still want to keep going. And yeah, my yeah. parents just thought, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, like you are crazy. You have to go and get a proper job. Things do go up and down. Mm. Yeah. So, so we, Tony's gone to Singapore. Tony's gone to Singapore working on, you know, this uh, incredibly large project. So ever since, you know, he'd basically gone from big project to big project yeah. in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and whatever. And then so Rob and I just battled on and we literally did walk the streets. We'd go around to all the government departments, knock on people's doors, just say, have you got anything you can give us? But we survived. You know, we'd often look at each other and say, can we pay the rent this month? Can you remember like a project that was the saviour during that time for you? Can you remember what ended up getting you through? We had a little project from a guy called Trevor Bear, which was kind of a little house in his backyard. It was kind of a garage house and that sustained us for a little while. And then we had another friend who gave us another, he bought a sort of warehouse. He was a photographer and he wanted to put another story on it. And then our parents, probably the big steps then, our parents did give us a job, although they've always, it was still on like really cut fees. So <laughs> like we, we were not living well. We weren't living the high life, that's for sure. <laughs> So eventually, I suppose the turning point 
Dad gave us a bit of work out at his warehouse. He bought a couple of warehouses and we refit them and things like that. So again, it was just piecemeal Piece work that kind of kept us going. He's going, come on, guys. Anyway, eventually <laughs> just he, he gave us some $30,000 to go and build our own house, which is not a huge amount of money, but it certainly, it was a bit then. Yeah. yeah and, and he said, well, you know, my brother wanted to build a house, so he had a friend who wanted to. So ah. there was three of us. And so he said, we'll do something together. So we went and bought a block of land in Port Melbourne oh, yes. down a back lane that had been on the market for two years because no one wanted it. They thought it was, you know, terrible. And we bought that and we were going to build three townhouses on it. And my brother was going to have one, yes. friend have one and we have one. Okay. That sounds and, like a plan. Yeah, that, sounds, that was a plan. That was yeah. when Dad gave us the money. Yeah. And he came down to have a look at what we bought and he said, what have you done? Mm. You've bought a toilet block. <laughs> anyway, that was really the makings of us because right. we built the three houses and there was a zinc guy who basically, and his name was Herman, and we did a sinusoidal facade on this with zinc. Mm. And, and to be honest, we did, you know, like, not much past lockup for ourselves and we finished a whole lot. We did a whole lot of physical work on it ourselves. Yes, yeah. And that's how we got there. <laughs> but at least we had a house. Yeah. You know, and the other two paid us some fees, reduced fees, but, you know, at least it was enough to, to get us there. Yeah. And we built, yeah, so we got that and then Herman said, can I put this facade on my calendar? And we said, sure, that's fine. Well, he went round to every other architectural firm in town and hawked his services which eventually landed him Federation Square. Now, we said, yeah, that's fine. You can put it on the calendar. But what it did was it gave a lot of other people awareness of oh, us. Yeah. What you know, because so, we didn't have awareness. Instagram, yes. Snapchat, all those things, you know. Yeah. So it did give a lot of people some awareness of us. From that also, we thought, okay, we'll sell this and we'll do it again. Yeah, right. Because here's a formula. Yep. We couldn't buy a house on our own. Yep. And so we bought... We got a group of friends together and then, well, actually, one of the people who'd come to buy our, our townhouse in Port Melbourne, she was a friend too, but she went away crying because she didn't get it. And our friend said she, she was crying when she got home because she missed out. And we just said, tell her not to cry. Just tell her to come in on the next one. So she did. And, but she brought a whole lot of friends with her. And before Aww. you knew it, we had 10 people. And so anyway, it was a whole lot more. of people who couldn't buy a house on their own, kept going to auctions, couldn't right. get a house on their own. Yep. And one person was basically a single mum. So there was all sorts of different things. Some people had big incomes but no deposit. Okay. Some people had big deposit, no income. And we thought, okay, how are we going to do this? But I had to, we had to manage the whole thing. Like, well, with this, uh, uh, one of the other people that joined part of it, who was another architect, Sylvia Durr, we just had to be part of, you know, she did a lot of work on that as well, getting mm -hmm. the finance and all that sort of thing. Just even finding a bank that would deal with all this. Oh, yes complexity was remarkable and we did find someone so yep. we had to invent our own project convince yep. a bank that you know it was going to work and then with people with all these different sort of sets of circumstances we spent two years finding our block and we bought 21 Winstow Road and we built 10 units on it yep and then it was the first house for a lot of people and it was pretty hilarious some of our our later meetings because a lot of people were having their first child and we we had this, you know, like tiny office on the top of the car park in the city. Yes. And there'd be all these prams lined up at the front of the, you know, for the meetings and things oh. like that. But from that, I mean, I, I think it was a remarkable thing because mm. everyone got a house and a lot of them moved on and people say, oh, well, you know, well, was that, you know, a problem? But I actually think it's great that when markets move, people yes. can 
go, you know, go on and do something else. I mean, if they needed a house or whatever, because they did, and it wasn't just families, it was couples and things as well, but at least it, it gave them the foot up that they needed. Yes. And, yeah, so there were... There was only sort of two there for a long time that were the original people, wow. but all the rest of them had kind of moved on after a few years, really. Yeah. But it was fabulous because, you know, like we did the thing like the landscaping. Yes. We did it together, physically wheelbarrowing and had barbecues, you know, once we'd finished. And it was just, it was fun as yes. well. Yeah. It was a lot of fun as well. But it, that got us going. And then Daniel Grollo saw that project. He actually physically asked to come and have a look at three of our projects and we're scratching our heads thinking. Yeah. And he went, I think he went to Port Melbourne, he went to that. But we got him three projects. Yeah. I think they'd, um, mum and dad, we'd done a house for mum and dad by then and I think he went and visited that. So then he said, okay, well, it's a bid and there was like five firms going for three jobs and you have to pick the site that you want and here's your chance. You've got to prove yourself. That was oh, Leo Daniel's wow. thing. So we thought he's not going to give us the biggest job on the site. Because, you know, like it was, so DCM within the mix and John Wardle and I think Lions maybe. But anyway, so we thought we'll pick the smaller side because that's the one we've got a chance at. Okay. Yeah. Good strategy. And that was QB. Ah. And we got it. And we never really looked back from there. You know, I mean, life is always hard in architecture. You can never assume you've got your next job, really. You just, uh, you know, you've always got to work at it and you've got to continue to prove yourself and things like that. But, I mean, Daniel Grollo certainly gave us a break there. Yeah. Yeah, by giving us that job. You mentioned, you did say you'd already met. Robert, before you you were at uni, how did you meet? We knew each other at school. It's been a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah, probably since we were 15. But, I mean, we weren't girlfriend and boyfriend or anything like that then. Yeah, in fact, I was going out with one of his friends. So, you know, like it was, yeah, but it just, at uni, at Monash, it sort of really, it kicked in. He had a broken leg and I had a little Volkswagen and I used to pick him up and take him to uni. Wow. And what do you think, like, just you obviously it always astounds me when people work together and also are together. How do you complement each other? I'm more outspoken. Rob's probably, he's probably more considered. I don't know in our working life what's what's complimented us or what at home, but I just, we're, we're very different personalities. And yes. I think we do, he anchors me and I give him the push maybe that he needs so maybe that's how it is. I don't know. In the design spectrum, without going into too much detail, I mean, do you do you tend to, I guess, delegate different interests or do you collaborate or how does that play out? Generally speaking, I suppose Rob is more... We, we do work together, actually. Yes. We do really work together. But he comes from a more... It's sort of more serious architectural base, if you like. And I sort of come from a world which is a little bit more colourful. And the two meet, and yes. I think that's how we, we get those things. And I, I think that, you know, Rob's probably got more patience sitting there, you know, nutting out plans and things like that. Mm. But, you know, look, to be honest, I just, we do work on things together. It's hard, it's, it is quite hard to describe. And, I, and, you know, Rob is a very patient person, so I know that if he answers me back, he's serious. But when you talk about colour, a lot of your, the sort of, Things that you did with schools had, you know, all of these big, bold, glazed brickworks. Talk to me about how did that come about, I guess, and why why did you choose that? What was the motivator behind it all? I do think that sort of that art background, because I, mm. I was even good at art at university, that art background has probably influenced that a little bit. Although both of us are interested in lots of things, you know what mm. I mean? So it's not... Linear, and I don't think we're a firm that 
does the same thing every time. Absolutely you know, because not. we're much more yeah. interested in what else can we bring, what else can we see, how has the world changed, you know, all those sorts of things. Mm. So although we do still think that form is very important mm-hmm. and actually creating sort of wonder and interest is very important as well. Yeah. So and people say, oh, you don't do square boxes. Well, it's not actually true. We, we did do Southern Cross Station, which was a box and got nicknamed the tissue box. So it's, we do do square buildings, but, you know, like we do other things as well. I think that we really, really try and work out what's needed in that place, mm. what's going to be the best thing for all the people that use it in this yeah. particular place, yeah. And I remember with Fitzroy, like, obviously looking at the building, I mean, it was a fascinating just the in, internal space of that, how it was all colour-coded as well and it had the, all of those different areas. And there was so much thought that went into it, just more from an exterior perspective. You're saying, oh, there's this brightly coloured, beautiful building, but inside there was so much thought that went into it as well. I, I just think you're such a thoughtful designer with the whole package and and often that's hard to really find because I think just some of these things you look at it and you go well that's a a beautiful building or I can see those aspects but how different design permeates through I think that's a real credit to yourself I've always enjoyed looking externally and then going how's this played out internally what's what are you going to surprise me with now? Well, we always think of it as a whole package. Yes. So me sort of coming a bit more from an interiors background and Rob, we kind of, we meet. You yes. Know, like, and we consider it all to be important. So yes. we want it to be reflected in, you know, all aspects of the project. And we want to really work pragmatically, but we always want to offer people something more. Yep. And also, hopefully, they discover more things as they use a building, you know what I mean, like that they can still discover things. So it's mm. not – we don't want our buildings to be boring. No. But I also get the sense that, I mean, I've sort of seen from your body of work, you sort of – you do things and you go, okay, we've moved on from that. You know, now we're going to try something else or we're going to take it to this level. That's what I interpret. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Yes. And we do go through, you know, like you might do two projects that do have some – similarities mm-hmm. like for example in the awards this year we've got pegs music school and the architecture awards which is a very curvaceous building yes and we've also got a building in yarram which is a hospital project well it's an integrated health service actually but that's got a curvaceous sort of very playful element to it as well mm. so and there is some similarities between those projects even though they're quite different you know yeah. i mean it's they're quite you know absolutely quite different but yeah i just I think that you, you do have an interest in something, but you're always listening to your client's brief as well. Yes. Okay. And sometimes things just align. Yes. You know, like it's just, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Mm. So why bricks? What do you enjoy about bricks? They're quite malleable, which sounds strange. You can really get any shape that you want more or less out of them because, and I know that you have the Lego blocks on the, you know, gala <laughs> dinners and things like that, but they are. They're yeah. like the Lego blocks. And to be honest, even the project that we have just finished, the the Pigs Music, you know, people would say, I don't think you can do that with bricks, including the engineer for a little while. But that's your job to make yes. the magic happen. Well, it was interesting <laughs> with your legacy because, you know, when I look back over the years, I mean, we can see the trends coming in and out. And for a while there after your entries, it was everything glazed and then patterned. And then, you know, we had a couple of the hit and miss walls and then the corbelling. And it's interesting when you're judging work that's come through and you sort of go, yep, well, we've done that. You know, we've done that. Yeah. And and you've been a part of the yeah, jury as well. Yeah. And so, so it's interesting to see how these, these trends do come through. And they've also really driven 
from an engineering perspective, a lot of our inquiries because everyone sees something and then they think we can well, do how that. how can we do that? That, and then, you know, they go to the standards and they don't cover it. So it's been, it, it, you can just track almost the development of all of our, like, fact sheets and we can put it back to the awards and to different projects that have happened because you can just see the impact of that project mm-hmm. about how it has influenced people. Yeah, that's, mm. you know, I, I do love bricks because I think that they have that longevity that so many other materials don't. Mm. And, you know, I, I would like our buildings to last because, look, I think that important buildings that people have put a lot of energy into should last. Like our whole team works incredibly hard. And, I mean, what's the point in doing that for something that's just going to fall over in less than 25 years or something? You mm. know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. No. I think that longevity and things is really important. I think it's really important just from, you know, from a sustainability point of view as well. Mm. I mean, you know, these buildings can take on different lives, you know, like the building that we, we're in now. I know. Yeah, our office. Brick. It's a, a brick building. <laughs> it's a brick building and it's over 100 years old. Yeah. And it's had many lives, mm. you know, and it can adjust to all of those things. So I just think... You know, have something that lasts for over 100 years and can probably, we're still patching it up and this, that and the other thing, but it can continue to have more lives. And even the project that we've just finished at Yarram, the Integrated Health Service, we kept all the bricks from the original building. Yeah. And a lot of them actually weren't suitable for reusing because they had deteriorated quite a bit. But all the ones that were good, we reused in the project. So we had new bricks. But we inserted all the old bricks and the naming of the building and a pattern. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's included. Yeah. So the past, there is a story of, you know, there's a history. There's mm. a story of that township and the township loved the red brick building, you know, so they, they had a connection with it. So yeah. in these things, you know, are really important in any town. Like mm. if you look at even Australia's history, the important buildings of any town were usually the church, the school, school, the pub, the post office, and, the and they were usually all brick. We just drove from Sydney to um, Darwin and went through all the country towns and that just really hit me was that it was either well sandstone yeah. and, and you're right, it was the post office and all the war memorials and I think mm. that's, yeah, that's really true. stood out to me about these towns were so affected when all of their sons and, and fathers went off to war mm. and... Yeah, everything still standing is all in brick, you know. Yeah, that's right. mm. And then the hospitals, you know, the base of the hospitals, they'd often have, you know, timber verandas and things like that, but there was a base of bricks, you know, and I just think that that is kind of the anchoring thing in Australia Mm. and probably the anchoring thing in lots of parts of the world, actually. It it sort of gives you security. You know, Mm. you have got a build stock that lasts and it has some relevance. Yes, and how have you seen over the years the profession change or have you seen it change? Uh, yes, I have seen it change. It's changed a lot from when we started. I mean, you know, contracts were completely different. I think that architects have been pushed into a pretty bad position actually mm. through contractual arrangements and, you know, almost to the point of it becoming unethical. I think that young people have had to... As in young architects starting out? Or, yes. Yeah. You know, I think it's a harsher... I mean, I know when we started it was harsh too. Maybe it's just a different type of harsh. Mm. You know, the building industry can be quite harsh. Mm. You've got to be alert all the time. You know, it's about protecting yourself and risk and things like that, which I don't think it was quite as much when we started out. I think there's a sentiment as well that I think is, is different in this younger generation. I think 
there was always an optimism sentiment with our generations. Whereas I just wonder whether we were kind of doing things a little bit fearless, but maybe we knew it was always going to work out. Mm. Whereas I, I get an underlying suspicion that maybe that's not there anymore, you know, that, that maybe things won't work out. And, and then that's maybe what they're feeling. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think you knew whether it was going to work out. You know, when the recession did hit, there were not a lot of alternatives. Like, did you want to go and drive a taxi? Or did you want to plug on and just see if you could work it out? Yeah. And, I mean, and maybe you'd made the wrong decision, you didn't really know, but, you know, you just kept having a go and in the hope that something would work out. Yeah. So what, what would your advice be to Younger? I think try and get clarity on everything mm. because there's so many things that are clouded these days. Yeah. Um, that's what I think. Yeah. And you can very easily get caught up in it. And also, yeah, I agree with you. Just on anything, really. I mean, I always say to my team members, make sure we all understand what success looks like for the person that's telling you what they want done so that you know where you're headed because you could go off and do something completely different. And you've wasted a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important, you know, that sort of old saying, uh, you can't see the forest for the trees. You've just got to always have your mind on, you know, really what is important and what you're trying to achieve mm -hmm. because you will it, you know there is so many things that can cloud you these days you know like and it's devices it's it's contractual arrangements it's you know many players many stakeholders you know you didn't that's another thing that's changed a lot like you know you used to deal with one person now you deal with a whole team of people yep and trying to get clarity out of those situations is really, really difficult. Committee decision-making is hard. Yeah, yeah, I think it is hard. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to work through those sorts of things. But you do have to always have a clear idea of what you're trying to do. You're here to do a good building. Mm -hmm. And what is the most important aspect out of all this information that I'm getting that is, is the most relevant? That, yeah. yeah, you can pursue on. Yeah. Well, Debbie, thank you so much. As I said, you've done so much for me personally and you really, uh, you may not take credit for it, but you did pivot the awards substantially and I appreciate all of your feedback. And I hope okay. you are pleased that we acted on it. But now we're just going to go into the yeah. rapid fire sure. questions. Reading the news, a newspaper or online? Both. Handwriting or typing? Both. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pen, pencil or e-pen? Pen, pencil. Do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? Both. What's important to you, style or substance? Both. Coffee or tea? Both. <laughs> see, you see what I said? We just, we're naturally curious. We like lots of things. <laughs> TV shows or movies? Both. Okay. Antique or brand new modern? Both. Okay. Call or text? Both. Travel back in time or into the future? Both. You would like to do both? Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, you can learn so much for the past, but, you know, the future is, is, is the unknown territory that you can, yeah. Exterior or interior? Both. Video games or board games? Board games. Form or function? Both. And with relation to design, complex or simple? Both. Yeah, yeah as I said, we, we like to cover everything off. It's all about the whole thing. It's not, you know, it's not one thing or the other. Yeah. Debbie, thank you so much for your time today and for everything you've done for Bricks. You're welcome. <laughs> if you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think Brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.